It all started with a game of chess. Martin Shkreli enjoyed playing with his older neighbor, Marty, in the working-class Brooklyn community. But more than that, he liked hearing Marty talk about the stock market. Shkreli was still a child when he began to take an interest in finance. The son of Croatian-Albanian immigrants, he was born at a Brooklyn hospital in 1983. Those who know him well say that he has a younger sister afflicted with a rare disease, which may have influenced his later career in pharmaceuticals. Growing up, his parents worked as custodians around Brooklyn, but Shkreli was ambitious. His chess games with Marty were also lessons about stocks, especially in biotech companies. And at the age of 10, Shkreli hoped one day to have a company as successful as Eli Lilly or Merck. Just two years later, he bought his first shares in Compaq, an IT and computer company. At 14, he bought stocks in Amazon right after it went public. It seemed Shkreli was destined to make something of himself. Soon after buying shares in Amazon, he started attending the prestigious Hunter College High School in Manhattan. And when I say this is a prestigious school, I mean it. This is a school where it's common for students to be accepted to Ivy Leagues. The school itself says its students represent the top one quarter of 1% of students in the city. Hunter College High School also often boasts the highest average ACT and ACT scores out of all American high schools. Shkreli later ended up donating $1 million to Hunter College High School, a gift that would eventually spark controversy. Some alumni even called it blood money. However, it's actually unclear if he graduated from Hunter or if he dropped out or was expelled and got his diploma from another school. But it didn't matter what happened at Hunter, because by 17, Shkreli was interning with Kramer, Berkowitz & Company, a Wall Street hedge fund. If you've ever watched CNBC's Mad Money, it's that Jim Kramer. Though Shkreli started at Kramer Berkowitz just copying papers, his shrewdness soon earned the respect of his senior colleagues. Shkreli's business dealings at the hedge fund actually caught the attention of the Securities and Exchange Commission. After researching Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Shkreli had recommended shorting stocks in this biotech company. According to Investor.gov, which is run by the SEC, when you believe the value of a stock will decrease, you might short it. You'll sell the stock you don't own in the hopes of making a profit by buying back the stock at a lower price. The SEC states that short selling is for the experienced investor. And even though Shkreli hadn't yet reached 20 years old, he was experienced. His hunch was right. Regeneron's new weight loss drug was a flop, and in just one day, the values of their stocks were slashed in half. This, of course, drew the attention of the SEC, who suspected the hedge fund of insider trading. But since research isn't a crime, Shkreli was cleared of any wrongdoing. In 2004, he earned a degree in business administration from Baruch College and soon left Kramer, Berkowitz & Company. He worked as a financial analyst at two different companies before starting his own hedge fund, Elia Capital Management, in 2006. Elia was sued a year later by Lehman Brothers Holdings Incorporated, which was, at the time, the nation's fourth-largest investment bank. According to Bloomberg, Lehman Brothers alleged Elia failed to cover a put-option transaction after Shkreli bet incorrectly on a market decline. Though a New York state court ruled in Lehman Brothers' favor, the company filed for bankruptcy before they could collect their $2.3 million. Afterwards, Shkreli opened another finance group with his childhood friend in 2009, MSMB Capital Management. It was around this time that Shkreli began to make a name for himself with his shorting technique, the same one that brought him under SEC scrutiny. He also began to use social media and finance forms more, often chastising the companies he was shorting. Nevertheless, Shkreli seemed to have his own formula for success. Just two years after establishing MSMB, 
he launched his own biotech company, Retrofin, in the hopes of developing treatments for rare diseases. This came after a prominent watchdog organization, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, asked both the SEC and the Department of Justice to investigate Shkreli. They alleged he tried to manipulate the biotech industry market for financial gain. In 2011, Shkreli had petitioned the FDA to not approve NVIDIA Biopharmaceuticals' new cancer diagnostic test on claims it hadn't been tested properly. The company's stock dropped 33%, though the product, Lymphoseek, would eventually be approved two years later. But yet again, Shkreli walked away scot-free. He denied the organization's allegations and insisted he had completely disclosed his financial interests. He even concluded that the whole thing was kind of fun. A similar situation occurred a year earlier in 2010, where Shkreli petitioned the FDA to reject mankind's new inhaler. Again, he had claimed the company's clinical trials were not sufficient. Over the course of a year, mankind's stocks lost two-thirds of their value, and Shkreli's short sale worked once again. The inhaler would eventually secure FDA approval four years later. Ertrofen's financial backers noted Shkreli's ambition and extensive knowledge of drug development, but were often disappointed by his immaturity. His future fiancé would later tell Elle magazine that Shkreli trolls because he's anxious and he really, really wants to be somebody. In addition, Shkreli once bought a large amount of Retrofin shares, which caused stock's value to increase. Investors saw it as a vote of confidence. Why would a CEO suddenly buy stocks in their own company if the company wasn't doing well? But Shkreli shocked everyone after selling $4.5 million in Retrofin stocks, causing his own company's share price to tumble. In 2014, Retrofin's board voted to oust Shkreli as CEO. His tenure saw employees use burner accounts on Twitter to promote both the company and shorting, as well as to mock gangster rapper stereotypes. One account was actually called Thug Bioanalyst. After removing Shkreli from his position, Retrofin then sued him for $65 million. They alleged that Shkreli created the company with the sole purpose of providing stock to MSMB investors when the hedge fund grew unable to pay off debts. Keep that in mind for later on. In 2019, Shkreli filed a $30 million lawsuit against Retrofin for plotting his removal to profit off his work. According to routers, all of these disputes have been resolved. But by now, we know that Shkreli had an ability to rebound from almost anything. In 2015, after being ousted from Retrofin and liquidating all his shares in the company, he founded Turing Pharmaceuticals. He launched the company with three drugs acquired from Retrofin, a ketamine treatment for depression, an intranasal version of oxytocin, and a treatment for high blood pressure. Shkreli had a plan for Turing Pharmaceuticals, secure licenses on drugs without patents, and raise the prices of these drugs to make huge profits. And just six months after launching Turing Pharmaceuticals, Shkreli found himself at the center of widespread outrage. Pyrimethamine, better known by its brand name Daraprim, is a nearly 70-year-old life-saving drug that has been the standard in treating a rare parasitic infection called toxoplasmosis. This disease can cause serious harm to babies whose birth givers became infected during pregnancy. Daraprim is also used to help immunocompromised patients like those with HIV, AIDS, and certain types of cancer. In August of 2015, Turing Pharmaceuticals acquired Daraprim for $55 million. Overnight, they increased the price of a Daraprim pill from $13.50 to $750. That's an increase of 5,456%. When the public got wind of Daraprim's new price, 
Shkreli was quickly branded Farmer Bro and the most hated person in America, even surpassing the trophy hunter dentist who killed Cecil the Lion in Zimbabwe. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, who were both in the middle of presidential campaigns at the time, also criticized the price increase. Trump called Shkreli nothing, a zero, and a spoiled brat, adding that Shkreli's actions were disgusting and that he ought to be ashamed of himself. Shkreli would later go on to endorse him for president. According to CNBC, Clinton called the increase price gouging. She also announced that as president, she would control the cost of skyrocketing prescription drugs. So how did Chern Pharmaceuticals justify the 5,000% price increase? Shkreli explained that the price increase was simply capitalism at work and that Daraprim is so infrequently used that the healthcare system would barely be affected. Turing would also use the new profits to develop better treatments for toxoplasmosis without major side effects, a claim questioned by doctors. Daraprim side effects could be serious, but they were manageable. According to the New York Times, Shkreli added that this wasn't the greedy drug company trying to gouge patients, but rather Turing Pharmaceuticals trying to stay in business. Thanks to federal rules in place, Medicaid and certain hospitals were able to get Daraprim at a lower price, but private insurers, Medicare, and hospitalized patients had to pay closer to $750. At the time, Dr. Judith Aberg of Mount Sinai School of Medicine said that some hospitals could no longer afford to keep Daraprim in stock, which could possibly result in treatment delays. The fact that Daraprim cost so much also meant it would be difficult for other companies to buy enough of it to reverse engineer the drug. Nevertheless, Amprimus Pharmaceuticals released a version of Daraprim in October 2015 that cost just 99 cents. Imprimus Pharmaceuticals also made a lower-cost, 99-cent version of another one of Shkreli's price-hiked drugs. In 2014, while still at Retrofin, he had acquired the rights to market Theola, a drug used to treat a rare disease called cystinuria, which causes cysteine stones to form in the kidneys and bladder. Patients are required to take 10 to 15 Theola pills a day. The pills used to be $1.50, but Retrofin hiked the price 20-fold to $30 a pill. Even after Shkreli left Retrofin, the price of the drug remained the same. A month after Imprimis' low-cost Daraprim was released, Turing Pharmaceuticals issued a statement. In it, they pledged that no patient needing Daraprim would ever be denied it. Turing also announced that although they wouldn't reduce the $750 listing price, they planned to reduce the cost of hospitals by 50% since they initially treat most patients. But experts and advocates alike said this wouldn't be enough. Dr. Carlos Del Rio of Emory University and the HIV Medicine Association called Turing's plans window dressing. It's true that most patients get initial treatment for toxoplasmosis at a hospital, but they then switch to at-home care for months, rendering the lower hospital cost unhelpful. In addition, the Washington Post reported that although most patients' monthly co-payments would be $10 or less, insurance companies had to pay most of the $750 which would increase the price of future treatment and insurance costs. Daraprim's 5,000% price increase was a scandal, but it wasn't illegal. However, even though Shkreli had previously managed to successfully evade legal repercussions, the law caught up with him in late 2015. On December 17, 2015, Bloomberg News broke the story that the Federal Bureau of Investigation had arrested Shkreli on charges of securities fraud, unrelated to Daraprim's price increase. In 2011, MSNB had bet incorrectly on Contrave, a drug used to manage obesity. Their short sale failed, nearly wiping out the company. Shkreli was accused of running MSNB and Retrofin like a Ponzi scheme, using one company to pay off debts to investors from the other. 
Remember how Retrovin accused him of the same thing after he left the company? Shkreli resigned as Turing CEO soon after his arrest. In an attempt to distance themselves from Shkreli and avoid any further negative publicity, Turing later changed its name to Vieira. It's currently a subsidiary of Phoenixus AG. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Shkreli claimed he was targeted for hiking the price of Daraprim as well as for his boastful personality. In fact, while awaiting his trial, Shkreli posted on Facebook a $5,000 reward for anyone who grabbed a strand of Hillary Clinton's hair while she was on her book tour. Shkreli later apologized for this, calling it poor judgment and his awkward attempt at humor. However, in response, Judge Kiyo Matsumoto said that he was soliciting assault on another person and that his inappropriateness suggested he was a danger to the community. She revoked his $5 million bond and sent him to jail to await trial. The trial began in 2017 and lasted four weeks. Shkreli had retained Benjamin Braffman, a high-powered defense attorney whose clients included P. Diddy, Harvey Weinstein, and accused mafiosos. Braffman argued that Shkreli only had good intentions and ensured his investors didn't lose any money. But after five days of deliberation, the jury of five men and seven women came back with a verdict. Guilty on three counts, acquitted on five. Shkreli was convicted of securities fraud for lying to MSNB investors about how well his companies were doing as well as conspiracy to commit securities fraud for manipulating Retropin's stock shares. Upon hearing the verdict, Shkreli shook his head, almost in disbelief. He had said earlier that prosecutors would have to apologize to him when the trial concluded. His father, who attended every day of the trial, put his head in his hands. But even though he was facing a maximum of 20 years in prison, Shkreli seemed positive. After the verdict, he spoke to the media, as recorded by Routers. Thanks very much. I think Ben said it all. Um, you know, uh, we're, I think, delighted in many ways with this verdict. I'm, I'm delighted the jury did their job. They saw the facts as they were. And most importantly, I'd like to thank Ben, uh, greatest lawyer on the planet, uh, who uh, took a risk on me and uh, paid off. We have some work to do. I think that uh, the, the jury's found and, and it's, it's in the record clearly that there were no losses at all. This was a witch hunt of, of epic proportions, and maybe they found one or two broomsticks, but at the end of the day, uh, we've been uh, acquitted of the most important charges in this case, and I'm delighted to, to report that. Ultimately, in 2018, Shkreli was sentenced to seven years in prison with six months off for time served and three years of supervised release. Prosecutors had sought a 15-year sentence, while his defense attorneys hoped Shkreli would only serve 12 to 18 months. Judge Kiyo Matsumoto also fined him $75,000 and ordered him to pay back $388,000 to a defrauded investor, who was the only one of Shkreli's investors to seek restitution. In addition, Shkreli was required to forfeit $7.4 million in assets. Among these was the literally one-of-a-kind Wu-Tang Clan album, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, which Shkreli had bought for $2 million. In 2021, the U.S. government sold the album for $4 million to multiple parties, including Pleaser DAO, an NFT group who said they hope to make the album more widely available. Riza, Wu-Tang's unofficial leader, later expressed regret in selling the album to Shkreli. In a departure from his usual confidence, Shkreli outwardly admitted fault during his sentencing. According to CNBC, Shkreli said the only person to blame was himself, not the government, adding that there was no conspiracy to take him down. Shkreli said he took down himself with his disgraceful and shameful actions. To his investors, he apologized for losing their trust and added that they deserve far better. 
Grassman, his attorney, argued that Shkreli's intelligence and altruism meant he had the potential to do good. Shkreli promised Grafman he wouldn't let him down. He had previously founded the Shkreli Foundation in 2015 with the hopes of improving general quality of life. According to the organization's website, the Shkreli Foundation had seven notable contributions. Among them were donating $1 million to Shkreli's alma mater, Hunter College High School, supporting spinal cord injury research, and supporting a charity for unhoused people. In the wake of the Darepin price increase, this charity, Community Solutions, announced they would be returning all $15,000 donated by the Shkreli Foundation. Shkreli's new humility seemed a far cry from the pharma bro persona he had become known for. Just two years earlier, in February 2016, in the midst of his legal proceedings, he was subpoenaed to testify before Congress about Darepin's price increase. During the 10-minute-long testimony with the House Oversight Committee, he smirked and continually pleaded the fifth, speaking only twice once to confirm the pronunciation of his name, and once to confirm he was listening. On the advice of counsel, I will not be giving an opening statement. On the advice of counsel, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and respectfully decline to answer your question. At one point, Braffman, Shkreli's attorney, stood up and unsuccessfully asked to be recognized. Okay, may I be recognized for a moment? No. No, you, you will not. That, no, you're not allowed to. Under, under the House rules, you have not been sworn in. I understand, but he's making no, Ms. The, you are not recognized. Not you are not recognized, and you will be seated. Representative Elijah Cummings, the chairman of the committee, then spoke directly to Shkreli. To Mr. Shkreli, since I have you in front of me, after trying to get you in front of this committee for so long, let me say this. You are in a unique position. You really are, sir. You have a spotlight, and you have a platform. You could use that attention to come clean, to right your wrongs. I know you're smiling, but I'm very serious, sir. The way I see it, you can go down in history as the poster boy for greedy drug company executives, or you can change the system. Afterwards, Brafman told the media that his client did not intend to show any disrespect and that Shkreli's fidgeting and facial expressions were the result of nervous energy. After appearing before Congress, Shkreli tweeted the following, quote, hard to accept that these imbeciles represent the people in our government, end quote. Regarding the tweet, Braffman explained to CNBC that Shkreli was young and inexperienced, adding that it was a regrettable choice of words. This came a day after Braffman ordered Shkreli to stop talking about his trial to the media, as he so often did, or else Shkreli would have to find a new lawyer. It's now been over six years since Shkreli was first arrested in late 2015. Since July 2020, he's been serving his sentence at FCC Allenwood, a federal prison in Pennsylvania. That year, he requested a compassionate release to live in his then-girlfriend's New York City apartment. You might be wondering, who could have gotten close enough to Shkreli to date him? The answer is Christy Smith, the Bloomberg News reporter who actually broke the story of Shkreli's 2015 arrest and who would go on to cover Shkreli for years. Of course, this shocked many, especially considering Shkreli often harassed female journalists online. Smith eventually resigned from Bloomberg in 2018, after her bosses alleged she was becoming biased and actively supporting Shkreli online. Smith said they bonded in part over the success in competitive fields, as well as their struggles with anxiety. During his sentencing hearing in 2018, Psychologist Dr. Salzberg found that Shkreli suffers from not only generalized anxiety disorder, but also major depressive disorder and an unspecified personality disorder. 
The sentencing hearing also saw emails that Shkreli sent to someone referred to as Individual 1. Shkreli wrote to them that he'd do everything and anything to get a lower sentence. The prosecution argued that this was evidence he was faking remorse. Remember how we talked about Shkreli's apologies during the sentencing? And of course, Smith knew she was Individual 1 and realized her journalistic relationship with Shkreli was becoming too personal. She later said that Shkreli told her those emails added two years to his sentence. In an interview with Elle magazine, Smith admitted that maybe she was just charmed by a master manipulator, but she felt she had controlled the situation. The two had known each other for years, and Smith even left her husband for Shkreli. Upon his request, she also had her eggs frozen so that they could potentially have children together one day. But ultimately, Shkreli reportedly broke up with her from prison in a statement from his lawyers. In January 2021, Judge Kiyo Matsumoto denied Shkreli's request for release. He had argued that his asthma, along with tighter COVID-19 confinement regulations, increased his risk of becoming infected with the disease. Previously, he had also unsuccessfully requested to be released in order to research the coronavirus and develop a treatment. On January 14, 2022, Shkreli made headlines again after a different federal judge ordered him to return nearly $65 million in profits made from monopolizing and increasing the price of Daraprim. He was also banned from ever returning to the pharmaceutical industry. The ruling from U.S. District Judge Denise Cote came after a week-long bench trial that suggested Shkreli not only continued to control Vieira, a.k.a. Turing, pharmaceuticals from prison using a contraband cell phone, but also discussed how to defeat generic versions of Daraprim, which had been approved by the FDA in 2020. Shkreli's continued involvement, which the Wall Street Journal first reported on in 2019, frustrates the company's minority shareholders, who say they hope to reduce his influence and sell the company. A source close to him says Shkreli believes the company could be worth $3.7 billion by the time he is scheduled to be released from prison in late 2023. In chess, there's a term called an absolute pin, where defending peace can't move for fear of leaving the king vulnerable to attack. Do so and you not only lose your king, but you also violate the rules of chess. Dr. David Salzberg, the psychologist from Shkreli's sentencing, reported that denial and rationalization were Shkreli's defending pieces during the times he didn't achieve the success that had seemingly come so naturally. Before his arrest, Shkreli appeared ready to push the boundaries of the pharmaceutical industry, the stock market, and the people around him. And for years, it worked. He had multiple companies and was raking in millions. His ability to simultaneously profit so much and hurt so many led him to be called many things an innovator, a leech, a visionary, and pharma bro. Shkreli's arrest suggests a fallibility to the rules he had spent his entire life creating, made from the limits he had so constantly tested and challenged, and aided by the skills he had learned from those chess games with Marty. Thinking strategically, thinking like his opponents, and thinking ahead. Over six years ago, Martin Shkreli's king was checkmated, but upon his expected release from prison next year, the whole world will be watching to see what moves he makes next. For KCSB News, I'm Joyce Chi.